0: Good evening, Mendocino County. This is Michelle Hutchins, County Superintendent of Schools, with January's edition of Inside Education. Tonight, we'll be talking about what local schools are planning in order to offer universal pre-kindergarten next fall. Decades of research demonstrate that an early and strong foundation for learning matters. Children who have effective learning opportunities before kindergarten have an advantage in school and in life over children who do not, especially children with adverse early childhood experiences. California 2021-22 state budget committed major funding investments to expand both transitional kindergarten and the California State Preschool Program. This marks a new chapter in universal pre-kindergarten implementation using a mixed delivery system consisting of California State Preschool, Transitional Kindergarten, and other preschool programs in California. While these investments, or with these investments, California is poised to realize universal pre-kindergarten for all four-year-old children and to expand services for three-year-old children. The 2021-22 Budget Package established the Universal Pre-Kindergarten Planning and Implementation Grant Program as a state early learning initiative with the goal of expanding access to pre-kindergarten programs at schools. As a condition of receiving grant funds, state law requires each school to create and submit a plan to its board, its governing board, for consideration by June 30, 2022. The plan should articulate how all children in the attendance area of the district will have access to full-day learning programs the year before kindergarten that meet the need of parents. This needs to include, through partnerships with the schools, expanded learning offerings, the after-school education safety program, California State Preschool Program, Head Start programs, and other community-based early learning and care programs. What does this mean for our local schools? I have with me expert Kristen Hills, who's the Director of Early Learning and Care for Mendocino County Office of Education. Ms. Hills, would you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up as the Director of Early Learning and Care for MCOE?
1: Sure, yeah. So um, I actually started as a parent in the state preschool program. and I had three kids in four years. I was a stay-at-home mom. All of my children went to state preschools. I had not worked in education previously, but I was enamored with the program, the age group. So I like to say that my um children graduated from preschool but I stayed behind. And so um uh, after the, my youngest left the program, I wanted to go back into the workforce and decided that I wanted to go work in state preschools. So went back to school. I became a director for um, a center here in Ukiah and then um, did that for about eight years. And then our manager retired at MCOE. And so I became the manager of our state preschool consortium, which is a collection of 16 state preschools in our county that uh, MCOE is the lead educational agency for. And then just about a year and a half ago, Um, MCOE decided that we needed to have um, a specific department for early learning and care. And so I was approached about um, uh, filling that role at MCOE. And so here we are.
0: Are there any special educational requirements to have a position like this?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I um, actually have my master's degree and um, are our, in our area um, that's sufficient for a director. Um, and that's largely because the um, of the particular as a director of early learning and care, I do also have a program manager permit. And so it's kind of a different um, trajectory than you would follow if you were a teacher in the K-12 system. But um, but yes, definitely more school along the way. <laughs>
0: What is the purpose of schools producing a plan to implement universal pre-kindergarten by June 30, 2022?
1: Well, I think that, you know, first of all, the research shows that um, children who attend high quality early childhood programs have a huge leg up and that's um, across like developmental domains, right? So socially, academically, just success measured on so many different sort of levels, um, and then also, I think that um, having to meet the needs of um, families for childcare, um, this is a this is a huge issue for families. Childcare is very expensive for young children, and having universal preschool means that all families and all children who are age eligible would qualify. As it stands now, a lot of the programs are um, you need to be below a certain income level. If we introduce transitional kindergarten that's a way for all four-year-olds to be served. And then also I think that, you know, there's been a shift in the demographics of our families over the last several years. When um, state preschool was first introduced, it was really designed as a sort of part-time supplemental educational program for these young children before they went to school. But at this point, part-day services aren't necessarily what families need there are more cases now where both families are working or we have a single parent household. Um, and so that's kind of really changed the, the needs that families have as well.
0: What is the penalty if schools do not produce this plan by June 30, 2022? <laughs> that is a great question. And I will say that we really don't know at this point.
1: Um, but I would say that it's 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 likely that we may find out. We uh, This legislation was introduced and passed um, a year or six months ago. And so initially, the thought was there'd be a year to do all of this planning. And the template actually just came out right before um, the winter break and so we only have six months really for districts to put this plan together and it's a it's a big lift it's a huge document and a lot of things to address it will likely change over time so anyway because it is part of legislation it's it's um, very very unlikely that the deadline will change but we have yet to see what will happen if um if schools can't quite make that deadline
0: Let's explain to our listeners, what should the public or school boards be looking for when reviewing these plans? Well,
1: I think that one of the most um, uh, most important markers to look for is uh, collaboration and partnerships. So um, school districts are asked to get feedback from, from parents, from families, from the community at large. They're asked to work with other early learning and care programs outside of their school as well. Um, And that is going to end up being helpful for school districts um, as uh, as well, because, you know, the more that we work together, the easier it will be for our school districts to sort of build these programs and um, offer options to families, because not all families are going to need full day care for four year olds. It's another piece, even if districts need to figure out a way to offer it. As school districts start making plans for younger and younger children, we have to really be careful that these programs are age appropriate. And so that means um, understanding child development. That means um, understanding play-based learning. Um, and we, you know, we already have transitional kindergarten. Now we serve just those those um, last three months of birthdays. So four-year-olds who are almost five. But the difference developmentally between a child who just turned four and a child who's nearly five is huge. And so we have to make sure that we are building programs for these young four-year-olds and not just trying to fit these kids into programs that are written for a different age group. And I think that I've been really happy to hear local conversations that there seems to be a pretty good understanding of that.
0: This sounds like the state is adding another grade level to schools. Is that what's happening here? Well, the
1: official word is that universal transitional kindergarten is the first year of a two-year kindergarten program. And in it but in an operational sense, yes, it is adding another grade level.
0: And just to add to that question, this funding then is one-time funding not ongoing funding am i correct well we have some there are base grants um, that were provided to
1: all of the school are going to be provided to all of, um, school districts who serve kindergarten uh, now and then also to all um, county office of educations to sort of you know help support the districts as they make these plans those are definitely one-time funding and in fact most of there then there are a number of other grants that are uh, uh, pieces of this big shift as well. So there's gonna be competitive grants for um, teacher uh, development. There's gonna be competitive grants for facilities, but all of these are one-time funding and that impacts planning at the school site level heavily because what we would love to see is ongoing funding. It really is a different beast to serve these younger children. Having an expert at each school district who really understands the needs of these students and how to build programs for them would be wonderful. But in our small rural area and with the one-time funding as opposed to ongoing funding, it doesn't really make it possible for districts to hire these people to help, plant, you know, help uh, continue to shift the programs to meet the needs of the communities. It's really breaking new ground into needing to be responsive to what quality early childhood programs look like. That's just another reason why it would be helpful to have a full-time person on board ongoing permanently.
0: How does one-time funding impact planning at the school site level? Right. So
1: one-time funding can help for things that you might first think of. So maybe you need to look at, you know, getting some different materials for a classroom. That makes sense that you would want one-time funding for something like that. You, if you're going to need different furniture or, um, you know, some some changes that wouldn't need, necessarily need to happen every year. But to keep a program viable and to um, keep a program high quality, you really would need to have personnel and staff that are going to have the understanding of um, what these youngest students need.
0: What does it mean to be a lead agency for these preschool grants? A lot <laughs> of work. <laughs> this is what it means. Uh, so this is a shift
1: that I've seen even just in the five years I've been in administration with um, the, with uh, applying for grants from the California department of education. So <clears throat> COVID has sort of pushed this shift uh, into local control, and uh, we've seen more and more of that over the years. I feel like the pendulum has really swung pretty far in that direction, and um, there's definitely some benefits, you know, but one of the drawbacks is there'll be funding that comes out from the state for, let's say, facilities. There's going to be facilities funding for transitional kindergarten, for state preschool, for building all of these places where these children are, or these children are going to be served that that's great. But what it means for you as an agency is you need to come up with a plan yourself. There's very broad parameters and you have a lot of legwork to do. You have to, um, you're just responsible start to finish for the whole project you need to plan and write a grant proposal then you need to implement exactly what you've planned if there's any changes you have to get approval for all of those changes along the way and there's often like multiple quarterly reports that need to be turned in there might be documents that you said you would produce and cde really likes to share those documents so without ongoing funding, it, it's, uh, it's not always sustainable. So another, uh, I would say one of the challenges of educational administration is leveraging funding. You have to try and find ways to keep improvements and quality oversight happening with um, different grant dollars. So it's, it's kind of like a little um, dance since so much of the funding is one-time funding. A challenge.
0: You're listening to Kristen Hills. She's the Director of Early Learning and Care for Mendocino County Office of Education. This is Michelle Hutchins, County Superintendent of Schools with Inside Education. Ms. Hills, an accessible workforce is a huge concern as the reality of staffing requirements for both universal pre-kindergarten and extended learning opportunity programs is running parallel to workforce development funding rather than preceding it, what does this mean for our local schools? Do you foresee schools having staffing issues with these programs, and what can be done to prepare?
1: Yeah, staffing is huge. Um, COVID has also shown us how close we are to staffing shortages right, in schools already. Um, And that's before any sort of preparation we're doing for um, additional workforce that's going to be needed. Um, I've seen um, estimates that at full implementation for universal transitional kindergarten in 2526, that there will be an additional um, 11,000 to 15,000 new teachers needed throughout the state. So that's huge, first of all. There's a lot of heavy lifting at the local level, I think, that needs to be done to staff these programs. You know, the positive take on staffing for um, for the for these um, new programs, p- particularly for transitional kindergarten, is that by folding the providers of care of four-year-olds into uh, a credentialing program, it elevates their work. So it makes it a more attractive job option. The salary goes up because there's more education required. And the idea is great on paper, right? But in a lot of ways in early learning and care, a field that is historically made up of women and disproportionately even women of color, um, it's wildly underpaid. And there's now a pathway to teaching, which is great, But then what's going to happen to these programs that are just behind and are currently staffed, right, with these these folks now? So what needs to happen is we need to get ahead of the dominoes. The way I see it unfolding at this point, and it's already started to some degree, you're going to staff these transitional kindergarten programs with people who currently work with four-year-olds in state preschools and Head Start, which tends to have a higher educational level, often they'll have their BA, they're very close. And so those folks are gonna get pulled to the transitional kindergarten. Well, that leaves holes in the state preschool and Head Start programs. But what generally happens is school districts and Head Start are able to pay a little bit better wages than say a private childcare center. And so the private childcare center workers tend to move to fill in those positions. But now you have these holes in private child care centers. And it's um, the way that the reimbursement rates work for private child care centers, it's it's just not as possible to raise wages um, in the way the reimbursement rates are now. So a lot of advocacy work needs to happen there. And if we can get the whole pipeline developed that's great but we really need to start with high schools and the local community college and building a pipeline that starts there and that's where we need to put our attention is with the younger folks and making it a more attractive field so um we've been having you know preliminary conversations with the college I do sit on their advisory board for child development and Um, we really want to kind of as much as we can um, develop pathways and sort of publicize this as a, as a viable career choice. One thing about TK is that it is going to make it a more viable career choice for some folks. So.
0: That's it's just interesting to me how education has not developed a clear, solid pipeline to create our own, staff. Even though we're in
1: charge of the career and technical education. Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) We we have to replace ourselves. Yeah, (laughs) it's true. We need to think through this, especially when you see McDonald's advertising entry level positions at almost $20 an hour and advertising the future growth of paying for college in the future and how you're investing in yourself and we have a lot to learn from some of the industries around us, I believe. But
1: yeah, I think that's true. Ways to look at um, business models, maybe too. The, the the only issue, sorry, if I can just pick up one piece, that please. I just feel like I didn't quite touch on there. That the real, I want well, people to understand the importance of childcare. So it's really great that um, school districts are are going to be taking on a lot of these. Um, needs for families because a lot of families can't afford to pay for childcare. However, we are always going to need childcare services because families don't just need care Monday through Friday from eight to five. There's always gonna be needs in other directions. Um, there's And there's just different needs for different families. So I just wanted to sort of reiterate why it's not okay to let one part of this sort of delicately balanced system fall fall to pieces. Um, we really need it. And COVID has shown us what how important child care is, I think, too. So yeah, just wanted to throw that in there. Thanks.
0: And again, you're listening to Kristen Hills. She's the Director of Early Learning and Care for Mendocino County Office of Education. And we're talking today with Ms. Hills about the impl- implementation of universal pre-kindergarten in all of our schools starting in the fall of next year. Since Enrollment determines staffing. How do you predict enrollment from year to year with these programs? Well,
1: luckily for us in Mendocino County, the changes to population are really slight and slow. But there's um, a lot of different models that schools can use. So you can um, project out birth rates. Um, Those are reported to the California Department of Health and Human Services. So you can take a look at those for your area. You can look at historical trends. You can look at past enrollment levels for the grades that you're considering and just think one year back, project one year back. But there's also, you know, local trends you need to consider. Like are more air more, more families moving into your area? Are they leaving your area? So we have quite a lot of models. There's also a Department of Finance has population estimates and projection by age. So there's some good resources out there for this piece.
0: Ms. Hills, with the addition of ELOP, which stands for, oh. Expanded Learning Opportunity. Thank you. With the addition of ELOP, which stands for, all right, take two. With the addition, okay, Ms. Hills, with the addition of expanded learning opportunity programs, schools now have to offer a nine-hour day starting in transitional kindergarten. Are we placing the burden of child care onto our schools with this new requirement? And is that a bad thing or a good thing, in your opinion?
1: Well, that's a great question. Um, I think that COVID sort of Shown a light on the reality is schools are providing childcare. Um, and there's a lot of, um, you know, I heard some things to the contrary when COVID first started and schools closed, but um, the truth is good care is going to um, have elements of education and good education is going to have elements of care. So um, I love that I work in a department that is called early learning and care because we do both. It's intertwined. Um, And so I think the answer is both yes and no to specific and different communities. So are schools going to have to provide universal transitional kindergarten to four-year-olds? Yes, they are. And that part itself is at least three hours of care. And are they going to have to at least plan for how families can piece together, how districts can help facilitate piecing together nine hours of care if they need it? family needs it for their children, then yes, absolutely, we are passing that on to schools. In larger, more populated areas, though, there are more options for schools to partner with existing programs to build that nine hours of care. You could work with the community-based organization. There are some places that do that now. So like we have Boys and Girls Club that provides after-school care, for instance, here in Ukiah and Kids Club in Willits. So there are you know, other there's there's many answers. This is a multiple choice question, right? It's not it's not um, short answer. So um, I'd say that the the requirement disproportionately places a burden on schools and areas where there just aren't these other organizations to partner with, though, and so it does make it harder, especially um, in our outlying areas in our county. And the state has kind of left it up to local agencies to figure it out.
0: So as a lead agency, will Mendocino County Office of Education provide more support to those areas that don't have those partnerships, or what What will that look like?
1: Yes, it's interesting. Um, I think we likely will. Um, we're in the process right now of starting to have these individual meetings with districts and sort of be a thought partner um, in that. And it's interesting because the template itself does... Um, suggest that smaller rural counties might want to have one countywide plan Uh, in some small rural counties that might work but here in Mendocino County um, school districts just don't have the same needs and so um, there's going to be different answers like I said to this question so that's probably not going to happen here in our county. We certainly will be available, though, to, you know, assist with planning. And we're actually doing a series of meetings right now for administrators and also another series for teachers talking about universal transitional kindergarten. And we'll be going over the template with administrators next week.
0: You're listening to Kristen Hills, Director of Early Learning and Care for Mendocino County Office of Education. My name is Michelle Hutchins. I'm the County Superintendent of Schools and you're listening to Inside Education. This evening we're talking about how our local schools are planning to offer a universal pre-kindergarten starting next fall. So Ms. Hills, if you would please... What is the difference between all of these acronyms that we're hearing? We hear TK, Pre-K, UPK, and even EK. Why does the state use so many acronyms? And then how does the CSPP, which is, I believe, the California State Preschool Program and Head Start fit into all of this?
1: Yeah, Um, why do they use acronyms is a great question. (laughs) I think it's just shorthand for things that have long names and get said often, and most fields have them, but boy, education really seems to have a special affinity for for acronyms. Part of the naming um, of this expansion for CARE for four-year-olds is that it was rolled out with a couple of different titles. So now it's very clear what everybody means by each of these. So um, I'll start by saying UPK, which is Universal Preschool. And that's kind of the overarching plan for all four-year-olds to have a full day of care. Within UPK, there are smaller programs. So we're going to have transitional kindergarten, which is the biggest shift for school districts. They will need, it's a a year one of what will now be a two year kindergarten program. It's gonna be phased in slowly over four years. We will add more um, children, more children will be eligible each year as they shift the birth date slowly um, to include more children. So eventually it will capture all four year olds. That program is going to have a credentialed teacher it will have uh, a different ratio, though currently this next coming year will have one adult to 12 children. And so you'll either have 12 children or less in the classroom, or if there's 13 or more children, then you would have another adult. Um, when there would not there be a maximum. Uh, well, it's going to change slightly each year, but there'll be maximum numbers on these classes as well, since these children are so young. It's also a program, transitional kindergarten, that is available to all families. You only need to be eligible by age. EK, ETK, is the um, adoption. It's an option. Not all schools will offer it. Some may. I haven't heard of any that are offering it for next year. But over this course of the slow phase in, at any point a district can say, we'd like to serve all of our four-year-olds now. And so we're serving them early. So the E is just for early, but it's the same program. And then, um, okay, that covers all the acronyms, I think. The state preschool program uh, is an an, um, age and income eligible program. And so we we serve families in that program um, who make 85% or less of the state median income. It's also proposed, although not yet adopted, just came out um, last week or so in the budget, that um, the governor would like us to um, be able to admit all students with um, IEPs, (laughs) individual education plan, so identified special needs. Um, That program also serves three to five-year-olds And it has a one to eight ratio. So you would have one adult and eight children, one teacher to 24 students. The other two adults in the room could be AIDS. And then Head Start also, oh, go ahead. Did you have a follow-up
0: question? I do have a follow-up question. So if, if a school district is going to use California State Preschool Program to fulfill the UPK right the universal pre-kindergarten requirement what happens to a family that doesn't qualify for that income eligibility
1: yeah so it's going to depend on the school because in some schools we have like down the eligibility list of state preschool uh, there are uh, some schools that um, if you have a certain percentage of students in your school i believe it's 85% who qualify for free reduced meal prices then and the family lives in the school district service area we can serve any children that are age eligible so that will apply to some schools in our county um and then that's a good question we'll we'll see it's possible like we we do some blended programs so um, maybe the district would kick in funding for those children to participate in the program. There is a private pay rate. And so um, that's an, another solution that could probably be worked out with most school districts. Those that have a, CS, a, a California state preschool program on their site anyway. And then the last program you asked about was Head Start. Mm-hmm. And so um, we do have um, pretty large Head Start centers in Ukiah and and Willits and Port Bragg. Um, And those programs also serve three and four-year-olds. They serve children whose income is below the poverty level and um, they have a one to 10 ratio, but um, lower maximums for for, um, class sizes, which is great for young children. So a maximum of 17 students for three-year-olds, maximum of 20 students for four to five-year-olds and um, yeah. So that can also be a part of the plan. In fact, at, at Fort Bragg, they even have their Head Start is located on the elementary school campus at Redwood. So it really, that's what I mean. When we talk about how it really needs to be a community plan, not everybody has the same pieces to sort of build with, if that makes sense. As long as the district is, is showing parents how they can build a full day of care for nine hours for their four-year-olds, then they've fulfilled their mission, so to speak.
0: Nine hours seems like a long time for a four-year-old to be yes. engaged in school. What types of strategies does st- does staff use to engage a student for that long of a time at that age level?
1: Yeah, well, you know, that's the reason that play-based learning is so important. That's one of the sort of bedrock Uh, philosophies of play-based learning is that you're going to follow a child's interests, right? Follow a group of children's interests and that you're going to have flexibility. This is not a program where you are, and now it's time that we're all going to do this. And now it's time that we're all going to do that. You would not be very successful if you tried to wrangle a bunch of four-year olds into uh, working in that way. Um, And so, you know, I think it's going to differ a bit depending on which, Programs the children are in, I'm imagining that it's going to, you know, our, our people who serve four year olds now have a really clear understanding of that, and so um, it's it's a benefit for for parents who might be considering keeping their child in a state preschool or a Head Start program um, or childcare or family childcare program. It might be the best fit for their child um, because they do understand those pieces. So, what strategies? So, yes, play based learning, understanding child development. So, having open ended activities for children to do. While it's lovely for us to all have that um, beautiful Pinterest project that you can put on the fridge, it's not going to teach children a lot to do that other than following directions and building activities, the, the interactions that you have. That's why it's really important that we have these smaller ratios, more adults around right? they could. There are ways to scaffold learning that um, you can introduce, for instance, like academic topics like math and writing into a play area. Like, say the kids want to pretend that they're in a restaurant. Well, then we can start talking about, wow, we should make a menu. Who wants to make a menu? The children get the idea if they take it, and sometimes they don't, but if they take it, then that's opening the door to all kinds of, like, other, um, pre-academic type activities and things that you're still doing while the children are playing. And so it's, it's just sort of a different style of teaching. And, um, I think that we'll, we'll get there with TK too. It's just gonna, um, again, we, there's not going to be planned curriculum available for transitional kindergarten from the California department of education. They're going to, um, recommend that uh, transitional kindergarten teachers look at this California State Preschool Learning Foundations and Frameworks, which um, we already use in state preschool. They're great documents. They're actually going to start doing a little revision on them as well. And that will likely take several years, but maybe by the time the full implementation uh, rolls around, we'll have those documents completed. Fingers crossed.
0: You're listening to Kristen Hills, director of early learning and care for Mendocino County office of education. Ms. Hills, will schools generate ADA for UPK students or for universal pre-kindergarten students outside of the grant? How are these programs funded?
1: So uh, schools will be funded with ADA um, for the, the students that are in universal transitional kindergarten. Um, For early TK, however, schools will not be funded with ADA um, for these students until they turn five. So um, that's a case against taking early um, admittance TK. And again, we don't have any of the plans yet for our our, um, local area, so we'll see where districts land on that part. Um, Other publicly funded programs, such as state preschool, um, are contracted, so you apply to um, be funded through the state. And then your monitor, your contract is monitored annually and you have a continued funding application and it's based on attendance and enrollment. And then you have um, Head Start, which is also funded uh, based on attendance and enrollment, but it's uh, federally funded rather than by the state.
0: Will universal pre-kindergarten or transitional kindergarten be the same length of day as kindergarten? And is this appropriate?
1: Well, um, again, it really depends on the plans of the school and the needs of the community and the needs of the family. So um, the minimum requirement is for three hours of universal transitional kindergarten or kindergarten. So part day um, for that particular piece. But for the UPK, which is the overarching nine hour of care, um, they are going to need to provide either a wrap around state preschool program with some expanded learning thrown in, or they're going to need to partner with um, local, uh, very local to them agencies um, who also who provide childcare services. Um, I know a couple of the charters are are planning on doing that. Um, a lot of the districts in our county have full day kindergarten now, and so. Um, districts are currently planning if they want to do full day transitional kindergarten. So space is an issue also because if you are adding this full grade to your school site, um, you might not have a classroom for it. and, And you can serve actually fewer students if you do a full day of care in a classroom setting. Um, If you do part day, you could serve one group in the morning and one group in the afternoon. So, again, it's just going to be so variable based on um, the school sites. Uh, But the requirement remains for schools to plan um, an availability of nine hours of care. What does the research say about that length of day for preschoolers? Yeah, yeah. Um, most research doesn't really address uh, the length of day. Um, But I would say that that's not a pro or a con. Um, I would say that family needs have changed. Research, I think, does show that it's less about the hours of care, whether it's a part day or full day program, and more about the quality of the care that children receive. It can clearly benefit children socially and and academically, even if children are in care for a long period. Um, That would also match my personal opinion that, um, you know, I think that families, children are really resilient. And um, if we have quality options, then they're not going to suffer for lack of time with their families. I think that um, you can build a you know a winning formula with many different recipes, if that makes sense.
0: Ms. Hills, what can a parent of a three-year-old do to prepare for universal pre-kindergarten?
1: You know the the best answer. I get asked questions like this a lot, and I feel like one of the best. Um, answers comes from First 5 Mendocino, and First 5 around the state, I should say, too. They have a great publicity campaign that sums it up in five words. Talk, read, sing, draw, play. If you're doing those five things, if you're talking with children, you're providing them with vocabulary, you're teaching them about social interactions, If you read with your children, you're teaching them about stories and the way that we might socially talk about um, ways that people get along, right? If if you're teaching them information, if it's a a nonfiction book, it's a book about, I mean, even my three-year-old loved a book that we had about bugs. That was like the most fascinating thing to them. If you're singing, you're, you're giving some music appreciation, right? You're touching on other parts of the brain. So much of the brain's development happens in the first three years, up to, up to 90% of the, of the brain is developed. Those connections are developed in those early years. And it's so important that we do as much as we can to um, stimulate growth and, and provide a really rich experience for children. And it doesn't have to be complicated. Talk, read, sing draw play say those again <laughs> one more time talk talk a lot talk about what you're doing talk about what they're doing talk about what you see read read with your child every day this is the one piece that comes up over and over again in the research and the clearest piece of advice you can get read with your child every day sing your child does not care if you can't sing if you're tone deaf they they won't i promise they won't care <laughs> I have seen some of the most amazing preschool teachers who bless them, cannot carry a tune, have the most enthusiastic and and the best um, lovely circle times I've seen. Um, Draw, they're developing those um, five motor skills, even when they're just doing a grasp, like like you're um, using all your fingers. The first way you'll see a small child scribbling on a page, right? That's hand-eye coordination, so much development. And then play. I've already talked a lot about the importance of play. And um, it's really how children learn best at this age and um, how learning lasts.
0: What are the requirements for staff to work in UPK or a TK classroom? What is required for someone to be able to be hired in one of these programs?
1: I'll start by saying that
0: there's going to be, you know, pathways,
1: for people to work in any of these programs, pretty much um, with the clear background check and a high school diploma. And that's because we'll need paraprofessionals to keep the ratio um, one to 12 in those uh, transitional kindergarten classrooms. And that's also minimum requirements for Head Start or state preschool. So um, there's jobs available. <laughs> For anyone who's interested, or um, a lot of folks who are interested, but there are different requirements for the teacher, right? So, the lead person in the classroom, and so um, for the transitional kindergarten, it will require that there is, the person has a teaching credential, so they have their BA and then have gone through a credentialing program. Um, there's actually- so equivalent
0: to what we have for kindergarten teachers.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Um, The California Commission on Teacher Credentialing is actually looking at an early childhood credential now, and they're looking at fast tracking it. So we'll see if that's going to be a shorter program or not um, to be determined. (laughs) But at this time, what the legislation says is that it needs to be a credentialed teacher and multiple subject credential is the credential they will need. In addition, and I think this is a really good and important addition, uh, TK teachers need to have 24 units of child development or early childhood education units. And so those are going to be required by the fall of 2023. So the TK teacher, they will also be on a salary schedule and some districts are even going to have a slightly higher rate because of that additional uh, uh, child development piece that is required. So it's actually a little more education that's required to teach these younger children and then for state preschool um, while technically you can have something called an associate teacher permit which only requires 12 units in our county and for our consortium which is 16 of the state preschools in our county most of them we have a position we have to have a position that's a site supervisor permit because there's one person in charge at each center and so the minimum requirements for that are a site supervisor permit which requires an associate's degree at minimum and we try to um, help our site supervisors continue with their education um, to complete a bachelor's degree and some of our site supervisors do have that but you know minimum in our area to be A site supervisor would be an associate's degree. You can be a teacher with 24 units of early childhood in state preschool. And then Head Start um, is kind of in the same boat as state preschool. So they have also they need to have site supervisors. But then if it's a classroom teacher, um, those requirements are a little bit lower.
0: And what sort of benefits exist for these for these jobs? What kind of benefits do people receive? Yeah, good
1: benefits. I mean, um, they're school district employees for our state
0: preschoolers, and so um,
1: they're getting the same benefits that um, any other uh, classified staff would have. Some districts have them as classified staff. Other districts um, have our state preschool employees as um, classified management if they're a site supervisor, and that's so that they can write reviews for their staff
0: but yeah, they're, they're school district
1: employees basically. And um,
0: what are some of those benefits? Let's, let's list some of the details out. Paid time off. So,
1: um, summer's off at this point, which is huge. Um, and not something you get to enjoy
0: if you're a private childcare provider, um, luckily for families. Right. Um, and there are sometimes summer school programs if people did want to work in the summer too, right? That's true. Yes, absolutely. Um, We have a number of programs in Ukiah,
1: I know, and um, I I think that around the county also there's other definitely other summer programming, although we could probably always use more if you ask families. Um, Medical, dental, vision, um, mental health benefits, you know. So, um, what about retirement? Yes, great retirement, Um, especially if you stay in the field. The longer you're in the field, the the better your uh, pension will be. So retirement is really, um, you could probably school me on this question,
0: Michelle, so but
1: it, uh, it's a, there's a lot of good benefits. <laughs>
0: if I was a high school student close to graduation that enjoyed working with students, looking at a potential career as a preschool aide would be a great way to get started. And I would start with a pretty good pension at a pretty young age.
1: Definitely true. And I'll say too, that there's going to be a lot of funding coming out over the next few years to help you go to school. Um, We're providing right now, um, this week, we're sending out um, some stipends to folks who completed early childhood units last semester. And so I I think there's just going to be, particularly with the however, how many teachers are needed, there's going to be more and more programs that um, can financially assist people with school. And getting those units and degrees and credentials.
0: You're listening to Kristen Hills, Director of Early Learning and Care for Mendocino County Office of Education. My name is Michelle Hutchins. I'm the County Superintendent of Schools, and this is Inside Education. We're talking with Ms. Hills about the new requirement for our local schools to offer universal pre kindergarten starting next fall. Ms. Hills, Why is the state making all these changes and why now in the middle of this pandemic? (laughs) So um,
1: one of the platforms that governor Newsom ran on was um, early childhood, that he is an early childhood governor and that that's really important to him. And he developed a master plan um, for early learning and care. If you Google it, you can find it beautiful website. Um, a lot of research went into this master plan. And so I think that, you know, there's also kind of a larger general movement for universal preschool and or universal child care um, that we're seeing in other states and also at the federal level. Um, child care was a big piece of the Build Back Better plan. We're still hoping that they're going to pull that piece out and maybe work on just passing it. Um, because the United States is really far behind many other countries when it comes to providing care for children, particularly young children. Um, So I guess you can say that part of the motivation is political. But the other part is um, the reality that families need care. Um, We talked a little bit earlier in the show about the ways that families, the family structure has changed. There used to be a parent at home a lot of the time, and now that's just not always the case. In fact, is rarely the case or not as often the case. Um, and research also shows, and this is just true and continues to be true, children who receive high quality early education and care have better outcomes, and not just in school, but in life. Why now? It's been part of the plan for some time. And I think there's just a reluctance to pump the brakes on any of it, even though we're in the middle of a a pandemic.
0: What is it about preschool that creates a foundational opportunity for growth?
1: Well, preschool provides um, a lot of social interactions, which is something that is hard to do in the home, I think. Um, And that's why I think, you know, when the family structure was different, we used to have part day programs. And so, Children um, develop a lot of social skills, a lot of um, self-regulation skills, um, skills that help them get along. And and when children aren't worried about getting along, they're able to focus more on the work at hand, which is play and learning, and and um, all of the things that we want children to learn. And, and it's really tied to social emotional learning always. Um, and so. Uh, or, you know, earlier opportunities for that have been shown to have a good impact. So that's one of the largest pieces, I'd say.
0: Anything else that you want to share about what you do and about universal pre-kindergarten starting next fall in our schools?
1: Well, I would like to share um, that we really hope also to support the child care providers as they go through this change and kind of what that means for them. You're so, talking
0: about the private child care providers. Or you're private talking about child all care
1: providers, yeah, family child care center um, homes, and um, also private centers that aren't necessarily publicly funded. So, um, the because of the way that child care centers are funded, universal transitional kindergarten is going to create uh, a real financial burden for those who serve multiple ages, particularly zero to five. Um, It's more expensive to serve younger children, and that's because you can serve fewer children per adult, you know, as it should be. You can only care for four infants, which to me still sounds like a whole heck of a lot, but that's, you know, versus 12 transitional kindergartners. So what this means for our local providers is that the business model for some centers They've been subsidizing the care for these younger children by serving more of the three to five-year-olds. To support these programs, we need to advocate for a reimbursement rate for infants and toddlers for zero to three that is more reflective of the actual cost of care, the true cost of care. And that's also why there's such a lack of infant and toddler care um, in our county right now. And that is work that um, MCOE does have a hand in in our um, local child care and development um, planning council. And uh, we work with multiple agencies. We work with um, North Coast Opportunities and Head Start and First Five and Mendocino College and um, home visiting programs, the Department of Health and Human Services and CalWORKs. And we all come together and um, try to provide support for the workforce and a plan for child care um, in our county. So we really wanna be a bridge because between the school districts who need to be collaborating with the child care providers. So we hope to provide that connection. And then the other thing I would say about our work is that um, we have a lot of programs in the um, Department of Early Learning and Care that um, support child care centers with practice-based coaching. Um, We help improve quality and we provide material stipends for participating We help increase services for children with special needs, you name it. Like, if you have a need at your center, we are happy to try and fill it. Um, I'm really proud of the work that our coaches do uh, to support providers in this way.
0: And when you say we, you're talking about Mendocino County Office of Education?
1: I am, yes. Yep, we've really grown our um, services for early learning and care over the last few years. Apply so- for more grants, getting more funding and, and kind of taking on more objectives to help um support the that zero to five piece of the puzzle.
0: What does an instructional
1: coach do? Yeah, so the practice-based coaching is somebody who is um has extensive experience working in the field and comes to your site and depending on the program that they're working under, they might help you to they might help you with, maybe you were interested in some staff development activities for your staff, or maybe you're interested, maybe you just need some coaching on serving a child with special needs, or maybe you want to be part of the quality rating improvement system, which is a, a rating system that California uses for, for child care providers. Um, we're just getting started on that work in our county, but um, it, it is a big piece of the work um, for zero to five around the state. So there are all kinds of tools and assessments and um, benchmark indicators that we can come and, and um, look at your center and make suggestions. And, but we also want the work to be driven by the providers themselves. What are they most interested in improving? And you get the best buy-in that way. And, and also you're giving the kind of support that providers are looking for. So we try to sort of um, bridge that gap too. What's the actual definition of quality? What do the different assessment tools say? Is the is the definition of quality? And how can we provide we provide support to this provider with these children, these families?
0: Anything else that you want our listeners to know about universal pre kindergarten that's coming this fall to our schools in this county?
1: Uh, no, I think I mean I I would love I love it if you know people want to ask questions. I encourage them to reach out to their school districts just because um, we, I know that it, it can be challenging to get families to be involved, but we really want to hear family voices and um, build programs that are going to meet the needs of the families. In has,
0: our- has the state built in a process for families to be involved in this planning Is a part of
1: the template, yes. So um, school districts do need to say how they're going to involve parents in the process and and gather feedback from multiple stakeholders, but families and and, um, parents are definitely named, yeah.
0: If parents are interested in getting involved, they should contact their local school district?
1: Yes, I'd say that's a great suggestion. Okay. We're making the same suggestion to child care providers as well.
0: You've been listening to Kristen Hills. She's the Director of Early Learning and Care for Mendocino County Office of Education. Thank you, Ms. Hills, for spending your hour with us this evening. Um, I'm sure the listeners of Mendocino County have learned a lot tonight about all of the issues surrounding universal pre-kindergarten and what our schools are about to embark upon in planning for that opening up next fall. Thank you. Thank you. You've listened to Kristen Hills, Director of Early Learning and Care for Mendocino County Office of Education. This is Michelle Hutchins, your County Superintendent of Schools, and this does conclude our show today. Before I go off air, I need to say that this is my one-year anniversary of producing this show, and it's been a real pleasure to be able to bring different concepts of education to the listeners of KZYX and Z. One big change that we have for next month is now that I am a candidate for election, I need to go off air. The show will go on. I have enlisted a gentleman, John Horton from willits Adult School, who will be the voice of Inside Education while he and I work together on producing the show. So a big thank you to John Horton for taking on the responsibility of being the voice for inside education while I'm on the campaign trail for my re-election to County Superintendent of Schools. I thank you all for listening to Community Supported Radio.